everybody out of my way. From now on, you'll run when you see me coming. No one can stand up to the Molten Man. Welcome back and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Me and My Friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production. The podcast that explores all things THE Amazing Spider-Man. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety-pal, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome three times and back once. This week, we're running through THE Amazing Spider-Man, number 28, The Menace of the Molten Man. It's graduation season for the kids of Midtown High, but that don't change the fact that we got action. A return of Spencer Smythe and his Spider Slayer, a return of Spidey in his non-shrinking costume, a return of knockdown dragout slugfest as the Golden Liability goes one-on-one with the Golden Man. It's the first appearance of the life-sized Oscar statue made motion, the 24-carat man with the golden glove hands. The Golden God! The one and only Molten Man. And we've got me, we've got you, we've got no further ado, we've got THE Amazing Spider-Man, number 28, The Menace of the Molten Man. I am the golden god of this place! Okay, okay, we get it, we get it. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques, he spins webs, I spin yarns, Kinda kooky, be forewarned, look out, it's me and my friend P. The cover. This is one of the most beautiful Spider-Man covers I've ever seen. I foresaw this cover in Jim Hanley's universe and remember just staring at it with my mouth open. I was like 16, 17, and it just caught me. We see THE Amazing Spider-Man and Spidey New Roman shade white with red shading his name. The webs behind The Amazing Spider-Man are a bright neon green. Beneath his name, off-center to the left, is a red banner. Cloaked in darkness, Spidey faces the mystifying menace of the Molten Man. And the Molten Man is written in goldenrod yellow. Beneath this, in a pitch black negative space, we see the Molten Man. And he is jacked. Lats bulging, biceps bulging, forearms bulging. The dude's got thunder thighs. His calf muscles are about the size of an elephant's. He's six foot five, he's 225 pounds, and he is covered from his crew cut to his toes in golden, sparkling skin. He's lumbering towards our hero, Spidey, who arms wide, has his back to us, his right arm raised above his head, his left out at his side. The normally blue of his costume is black, blending with the negative space so all we can really see are the red lines of his costume. On his arms, hands, boots, and belt, the large spider on his back, and the white of his left eye of his mask. It is beautiful to look at. Steve Ditko is doing the big W, as always. Beneath all this gorgeousness, we get a SJB blue caption box letting us know it's the end of an era. Also in this landmark issue, you won't want to miss Peter Parker's graduation. My people, it's the last issue of the Wonder Years. Let's get into it. The credits. The credits on this one give us poetry and caption box. Written and edited with loving care by Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn with talent rare by Steve Ditko. Lettered and boarded with a vacant stare by Sam Rosen. So yes, this is another S and S and S production. 
Page one opens to the sign of the spider next to the title of this issue. The Menace of the Molten Man. Written in a white and golden rod, the letters looking like they're melting metal from the bottom. A red glowing orb is superimposed on the bottom half of the N in the word molten, and it's blasting a white aura that's surrounding a golden man who's standing stage left from head to foot in a suit. All of it gold. I'm guessing this is the 24 karat kid, the molten man. He's wearing a blazer, gold, slacks, gold, shoes, tie, loafers, gold on gold on gold. He's got both his arms raised wide above his head and his head thrown back like, I love gold. He's standing in front of a gray machine, all the dials, bells, and whistles you'd expect from a comic machine that's turning a man molten, and the whole room is bathed, bathed in a red glow. Standing in the foreground, his right fist raised, his left arm bent across his chest, his brown hair slicked back, as curl that made Clark Kent proud, is the one and only Peter Parker. The Goldenrod Kid is in the building. SJB suit, Goldenrod vest, and gray tie. There's a look of shock on his face, and rightfully so, but he's got bigger problems than the golden guy across from him. Pete's entire body is wrapped up in gray coils that he's struggling against, but can't seem to break. Next to his left knee, we get a screen caption box. Marvel marches on to another new adventure triumph. We turn the page. Page two opens to a caption box. On his way to school this morning, Peter Parker is hailed by no less a personage than the principal himself. Thus, our story begins with the savage impact of a falling feather. Dot, dot, dot. Exclamation point. We find Pete outside of Midtown High, goldenrod suit, red tie, looking over his shoulder at Principal Big Brass Davis, who in an all-tan suit, gray fedora, is calling out to Pete saying he wants a word. Pete thinks he knew Davis wasn't going to forget about him having a five-on-one with Flash Thompson and the Foolsville Faithful. That was last week in ASM number 27, or The Turntable Tale, here on Me and My Friend Pete. They got it shaking in the schoolyard, kicking up dust. Even Liz Allen dived into the brawl. But I digress. Back to Davis tells Pete that Flash Thompson came to speak to him, and Davis knows Pete didn't start the fight. Pete thanks Davis for telling him and thinks, Wow! Oh, Flash is the best enemy a guy ever had! The two part ways, and Pete enters the building. Walking down the hall of Midtown High, he spots Liz Hilton. What? I told you Stand a Man be out here forgetting people's names. Pete spots Liz Allen in a red, full sleeve shirt decorated with circles of different sizes a brown skirt and brown shoes. Pete thinks Liz must be the reason Flash got him off the hook and tries to get her attention, shouting for her to hold up. In the next panel, he jogs up to her so they're side by side and tells her he wants to thank her for standing up for him. But that ain't exactly right. Liz threw down for her crush, diving right into the fray. That was then though. Now, she closes her eyes and school book in hand, walks past Pete without stopping. Used to Liz sweating him, Pete asks if anything's wrong and she says, nope, keeping it pushing. Pete follows her, asking why she's giving him the cold shoulder, says he can feel the chill across the hall. But Liz has no answers. She tells Peter that she's sorry, but she doesn't have time to talk right now. Stopping to scratch his head in the next panel, Pete thinks, Peter, she never called me that before. It's always been Petey. I wonder what's bugging her. And just before graduation, too. His short-term memory is garbage because Liz told him last issue she was done with both him and Flash Thompson after their fight. So wondering what's bugging her as if he doesn't know, Pete's traveling down that good old river that runs from Egypt and right through the minds of men. Denial. While he's floating unmerrily down the stream, Flash, fashion on trash, Thompson walks up in his usual green turtleneck and brown slacks. Scowling at Pete with his hands on his hips, he calls Pete useless and asks the Goldenrod kid if he can't tell when a chick's written him off, telling Pete he's had it. 
Imagine the guy who hasn't taken Liz flat out saying they're through as a statement of purpose, telling Pete that he can't tell when a woman's done. He's sitting right next to the goldenrod kid, or in hand, floating down, denial. Pete insults Flash, calling him Dear Abby, before remembering he owes Flash thanks for telling Big Brass Davis the truth. So in the final panel, Pete cans the insults and gets serious. By the way, Big Mouth, I appreciate you squaring things with Principal Davis for me. Flash, jerking his thumb at himself, replies that he didn't do it for him. No meatball takes the rap for Flash Thompson. Man called my man's a meatball and showed once again that he has all the makings of a stand-up guy when he's not being a sit-down jerk. He wants to make sure that everybody knows he started the fight. Nobody's ever going to say Peter Parker rushed him for nothing. I respect it. Three opens with Flash telling Pete he still hopes the kid is tossed, and if Pete doesn't leave Liz alone, he'll do it himself. The Foolsville Commandant has put on his big boy pants today. Pete replies that he sees why Flash is so popular. He has a gentle nature and sunny disposition. A few hours later, dot, dot, dot. Pete's sitting in history class, the only kid composed and in his seat as the others cheer around him. Their history teacher has just given the senior class the rest of the day off to go get their caps, their gowns, and anything else they need for graduation. Pete's like, that's cool, but he's got a different uniform to get. A one amazing spider suit. By hook or crook? As the class all smiles shuffles out of the classroom, Flash tries to get Liz to have a soda with him, but Liz ain't having it. She says never will she ever hang with Flash again. Pete throwing his blazer on is all smiles, glad that he's not the only one Liz is mad at. Before breaking into a sprint, thinking he doesn't have time to worry about why Liz is upset, because he has a plan he needs to put into motion. It's such a random moment to break into a sprint, but Pete's about as random as they come to the kids of Midtown High, so I imagine this isn't weird for them. Look, the weirdo punk is sprinting for no reason again. I imagine that's what they're saying. Later, at the home of Spencer Smythe, inventor extraordinary, whom you met in Spider-Man number 25, remember? That's the Kavorka Chronicles. Pete's outside of Smythe's home, a white rectangular box under his left arm and a container wrapped in white cloth in his left hand. He rings the doorbell of the house thinking about the events of ASM number 25, how he beat the original Spider Slayer, but was forced to leave his costume behind to do it. Smythe, thin white guy, reddish brown hair combed back, opens the door in a white lab smock. Pete asks if the scientist remembers him. Smythe says, of course I do, you got me paid. You were the kid who convinced Jonah to use my robot to capture Spider-Man. What can I do for you? Pete gets right to business. The last time you used the robot, Spider-Man managed to win. I was wondering if you've made any improvements on it since then. Smythe says no, that he hasn't had the time because he's been busy working on a new project. He invites Pete in and we see Smythe's home is also his laboratory. His first name may be Spencer, but his middle surely is Dexter. On four, they walk past Smythe's Mark I Spider Slayer robot and its iron coils immediately shoot out, wrapping Pete up in its unbreakable tentacles. If you recall, the Spider Slayer was geared to anything with spider powers, and the first time it was turned on, Pete was immediately grabbed up in the Daily Bugle as well. So Smythe, watching in the background, is immediately suspicious because the first time, he thought the robot malfunctioned, but he fixed it so it wouldn't do that again. He says, as you know, the robot was created to relentlessly follow and capture Spider-Man, being attracted by anything that has to do with spiders. Pete, struggling against the coils, thinks he was afraid this would happen. As Smythe starts to put the pieces to the puzzle together, he points an accusing finger at Pete, still tangled up in the next panel. What on earth? Why would it lunge at you? My robot would never act that way unless it sent something spidery nearby. Can it be that you? But Pete says no. Holding the jar wrapped in cloth out at Smythe, he tells the scientist that whatever's in the package is the reason the machine is reacting. He tells Smythe to shut off the machine, and he'll show the man what he's talking about. 
Smythe, his suspicion running high, shuts down the machine, but tells Pete not to try anything because he can reactivate it faster than the Goldenrod Kid can make a move. Pete's like, relax, relax, homie. Let me unwrap this packet because you've clearly been reading way too much science fiction stories. In the next panel, he pulls the cloth from the jar and we finally see what was inside. Here, it's just a jar of spiders. I thought they might help you with your research. Smythe says, of course that's what it was, that the mysterious Spider-Man couldn't possibly be a teenage boy. And Pete segues beautifully. He says, speaking of the wall crawler, he heard Smythe has the man's costume and asks if he can see it, that a photo of the most amazing costume would be a good feature for the Daily Bugle. Smythe tells him to knock himself out and points in the direction of the suit. As Pete walks over to it, the doorbell rings a second time and Smythe, thinking it must be his assistant, and it's about damn time because he's a half hour late. Pete watches him walk away saying he'll be gone in a minute, that all he wants to do is have a look at the costume. As soon as Smythe's out of eyesight, Pete gets slippery. He pulls the rectangular box from beneath his arm and swaps out the shrunken suit he was forced to wear last issue for his hand-sewn classic, thinking it belongs to him anyway. And just like that, Pete's got that costume back. Making the swap, he heads towards the front door to open page five, but walks right into a scene. The scene? A white slim guy with brown hair, slicked back, maroon suit, SJB tie, and tan Chelsea boots has just barged into Smythe's lab. He and Smythe get into it immediately. Smythe shouts that the guy, whoever he is, can't walk out on him now, that the money, the equipment, nay, the whole idea was his. The guy, shoving Smythe out of the way with his left hand, replies as gangster as it gets. So what? We worked on it together, didn't we? I'm taking my share and selling it to the highest bidder, and you can't stop me. Translation? Man said he's cashing out. Smythe name drops, so we know this guy's name now. Raxton? Is that first or last? Don't matter, it's a name. Smythe tells Raxton that he never trusted the man, but this time he's gone too far. Raxton walks over to a table and grabs a large glass container filled with a goldenrod colored liquid. This liquid metal alloy, that's LMA, is worth a fortune, and he says he's done waiting for his cut of the pie before ordering Smythe to get out of his way. Smythe tries to appeal to Raxton in the next panel, saying the liquid metal alloy is untested, asking what happens if something goes wrong. He shouts, don't you understand? But before he can say more, Raxton's had enough of the back and forth. Gripping the container in his left hand, he shouts that he understands. Smythe can stay here testing, but he, Raxton, is going to live off the fat of the land with his share before shouting, I said get out of my way! and leans into a right cross that lifts Smythe off his feet, sending the man crashing into a nearby control panel. Smythe's right arm hits the machinery so hard he activates three different switches. The whole room is cast in a red glow immediately as goldenrod rays begin spewing from different red devices plugged into the walls and ceiling of the room. Raxon tells Smythe if he wants more of a bruising, all he has to do is ask for it. All this going down and Pete standing in the background, he's watched this whole scene unfold. A shove, a theft of scientific materials, a whole right cross, and now he's deciding to get involved, thinking he can do it without giving away his spider powers. But Smythe's not soft, he's proven he can take a punch. Lunging towards Raxton, he slams the thief up against the wall, shouting that Raxton won't get away with this. Raxton shouts, oh no, pulling a blackjack from who knows where, and says, just watch me. Translation? Don't believe me, just watch. Shout out to Bruno Mars. Shout out to Trinidad James. Pete shouts for Smythe to hold Raxton because he's coming to help and begins moving towards the two men scuffling. But at that split second, dot, dot, dot. As soon as Pete tries to make his move, the tentacles of the spider slayer are on him, pulling him backwards away from the struggle between the two men. Pete thinks he's got no bottle of spiders as an alibi. On six, 
accident club Smythe on the top of his head with his blackjack, telling the scientist that when he wakes up, he can start making more liquid metal alloy because the batch in his hands, Smythe's never gonna see it again. But his swing with the blackjack has thrown his body off balance. His weight shifts onto his back left foot. He thinks, I'm falling, and falls directly into the golden rod beam shot from the red orb. You know what we've got next. Rail bumper bumper rail hole shatter. As the glass case of the liquid metal alloy bursts open inside of the golden rod beam with Raxton. You'd think the double crosser would be worried about this, but not Raxton. He's shouting about losing a batch of LMA because it was the only one ever produced. The man is watching his donuts spill into dimes, spill into nothing at all. But then, the sight which greets Peter Parker's startled eyes is so incredible, the teenager momentarily forgets his own predicament. Dot, dot, dot. Pete is frozen, staring in shock at Raxton, who arms wide is coated head to feet by the LMA. Pete wonders what's happening, but he doesn't have to wonder long. In the next panel, much like Electro when he gained his powers, Raxton is staring at his hands in wonder. And I like to think a lot of human agency flows through our hands and these villains, as soon as they're transformed, they have to look at them. A lot of human agency flows through our hands and these villains, as soon as they're transformed, they stare at their hands in wonder. But if you recall, when Peter Parker was bitten by the spider way back in Amazing Fantasy number 15, he stared at his hand in pain. I wonder if that's intentional. But I digress, back to. Raxton staring at his hand, still standing in the goldenrod beam, shouting, The metal alloy has been absorbed by my skin. This is horrible. <gasps> what have I done to myself? But if you ask me, it's an improvement. The guy is gold-plated. So shocked is the man called Raxton that he fails to notice Peter Parker as he walks past him, his dazed mind only centered on his own strange plight. Dot, dot, exclamation point. Raxton walks out of the beam completely lost in thought, past Pete still tangled up in the coils. Raxton quotes Smythe saying the LMA was untested, and now he wonders how it will affect him. Smythe just told you this a page ago, Goldie. You hear what you want to hear. Shout out to Manana. In the final panel, as Raxton walks towards us, still staring at his hands, Pete in the background has his own troubles. I've got to forget Raxton and find a way to free myself before Smythe recovers. This time he'll be sure to guess who I really am. I have to point out that Raxton, his maroon suit, sky blue tie, and tan shoes are all unharmed. So getting sciency, I think this beam only affects organic matter. Back to Raxton shouts that he needs to leave to go to a doctor or hospital if he still has time. This is a gorgeous panel. Pete's struggling with the iron tentacles. Smythe is laying on the floor unconscious, his head turned away from us, and Raxton at the center, his skin golden. Ditko, big W, you already know. On seven, Pete knows his spidey strength won't get him out of the spider slayer coils, so he goes to play two of the golden liability playbook. This don't work, there's always the shooters, and pulls one from his pocket thinking this is his only hope. He sprays a line of webbing towards the console, glad he spent all those hours practicing his marksmanship. So, does Spidey get of the hit? Of course he gets the hit! A thin strand of webbing hits the control dial and with a small click, shuts off the power. And just in the nick of time, Smythe is coming too! Smythe wakes up and he's a man on a mission, crawling forward shouting that he's got to find Raxton and stop him. Pete helps the scientist up onto his feet, telling the man that he's too late. Raxton knocked him out cold before Pete could help. But on a bright note, Raxton didn't get away with the LMA, at least not in its glass jar because it spilled all over him. How is that a bright note, Pete? And Smythe is distraught. He's like, all these months, wasted. Pete tells Smythe to give him Raxton's home address so that he can call the police and send them over. Smythe, still groggy, says fine, but what difference will it make? He is stressed about all the hours he's wasted. Meanwhile, a few blocks away, dot, 
dot, dot. Raxton is admiring his new golden skin, standing in the middle of the street, saying he doesn't feel any pain. And he's about to find out exactly how little pain he feels because a lavender Oldsmobile is racing towards him. It's horn blaring. The driver, as New York as you can get. Hey, move it, Mac. You're blocking traffic. The driver sticks his head out of the window in the next panel. Road raging. You dumb looking creep. Don't you know better than to do your daydreaming in the middle of the road? Raxton's like, what? Who are you calling a creep? Then, almost without conscious thought, the molten skinned man lashes out in rage, striking at the object nearest him. Dot, dot, dot. Exclamation point! Shouting that nobody talks to him like that, Raxton clenches both fists and slams them into the car, totaling the front end with a force so hard it lifts the back tires off the ground. This is... Hey! I'm walking here! Turned up to a thousand. How does your scale even work? It's sliding. Keep up. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, the infinity, infinity Page! page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Raxton having a realization of what he's become. He's standing at a fork in the road, metaphorically and in the street, literally. His left fist still on the hood of the car, right fist raised. He screams, I buckled this steel hood with my bare hands. The metal alloy is giving me some form of super strength. And begins beating the crap out of the car like he's E. Honda in Street Fighter, shouting that he's still flexible down to his fingers despite being a walking Oscar. The guy in the car makes tracks, and just in time too, because Raxton is not done. He flips the car over easily, shouting that no one can harm him. His fist clenched now, we know he's just come to that age-old fork in the Marvel Road where the superpowered have a decision to make, and Raxton wastes no time. I've become an actual molten man. I can do anything, take anything. I've been given power, power beyond my wildest dreams. He goes left. I gotta say though, I love his look right now with the suit and the golden skin. Not the worst as villains go, back to. You know, once you take that left fork in the road, you go third person monologue crazy. So of course, the threats start coming. He pushes a street sign pole out of his way with his right hand, shoves what looks like a garbage truck out of the way with his left, and steps onto the sidewalk, shouting at the people there. Everybody, out of my way. From now on, you'll run when you see me coming. No one can stand up to the molten man. My people, we've got the molten man. But. A few blocks away, a colorful figure effortlessly swings overhead, supremely confident in his dramatic, original costume. Dot, dot, dot. Explanation point! Spidey is suited and booted, racing above the city on a web line in his classic red and blue costume towards Raxton's apartment. Spotting destruction on the street below in the final panel, he lands on the sheer wall of a building and hears a crowd blaming a man with molten skin. He wonders if Raxton could have done this. Seconds later. Dot, dot, dot. We see a trio of police officers, one on foot, two in a green squad car. The cop on foot says according to reports, the molten man stormed down the street like a Sherman tank. The cop in the squad car driving says, brother, and asks how they can report something like that to the precinct. It's still mind boggling that people are in shock over these things. Initial shock, fine. But in Spidey comics alone, we've had a man with six mechanical arms, a man made of sand, a man who can fly in a green wingsuit, and on and on. I would think at this point, people would be like, now this, and go about getting their bagel and coffee. This is New York for upstairs sakes, but I digress. Back to. And in a nearby alley, dot dot dot. The molten man is running down a dark alley thinking he has to dodge the cops. He spots a fedora on a nearby trash can and since his hair is gold now, he's not worried about lice. He grabs it, he puts it on low over his eye, he gets rid of his tie, and hiding his golden hands in his pockets, makes his way onto the next panel. 
He strolls by a beautifully drawn woman in an orange jacket and skirt holding a swaddle, thinking if he sticks to the shadows, he'll make it home, no problem. And he does. Back pressed against the door of his apartment in the next panel, he shouts that he's finally saved a plan on how he's going to cash in on his new powers. Staring at those golden hands, again, his eyes wide, he's shouting, It was a one in a million accident that gave me this chance, and I'm not going to do anything to blow the bid. He races into his bedroom, pulls an empty suitcase from beneath his bed, and begins packing, saying he needs to find a hideout where he can plan a big crime. He is speeding down that left fork right now. But Spidey's just come onto the scene in Spidey fashion. Upside down on the web line, he shouts for the walking Oscar to hold it. Molten Man shouts, Spider-Man, what are you doing here? Spidey replies, oh, just hanging around. That's an easy quip for the king of flip. Spidey flips right side up and leaps huh. into Raxton's window in the final panel with a solid proposition. Look, suppose you save us both a lot of trouble by giving yourself up. There aren't any real serious charges against you. Molten Man calls Spider-Man a fool, telling our hero that he doesn't suspect the man's strength. I feel like we're going to need our clapperboard. And I love it when I'm right, because we turn the page and we got Action. Molten Man leans into a left hook trying to take Spidey's head off his shoulders with one swing. Of course he shouts Spider-Man can't stop him because he's got the power of molten metal. Spidey gets dodgy ducking left, <laughs> saying the man should have told him because he'd have baked the cake. Quipping. In the next panel, we get some gorgeous art as Molten Man throws straight punches with both his fists side by side aimed at Spidey, who, agility on best ever, flips sideways, still low, his body braced on his left fingertips, left foot kicked out in front of him, right foot bent, right arm above his head. He pushes off of his fingertips and shoots stage right, thinking the last thing he needs are bruises on his face for graduation. As Molten Man fists slam into the wall behind Spidey, cracking through the plaster, knocking a portrait down. He throws a back fist at Spidey next, but all this newfound strength hasn't given him any newfound speed. Spidey ducks it huh. easily, still trying to reason with Molten Man. He tells him that they still have time to talk this out. Molten Man, superpowered for all of maybe an hour, tells Spidey that he knew the man was scared of the fight. Spidey calms down, stands up, takes hold of Molten Man's bicep in the next panel, and is still trying to stay cool. Me? Scared? Say that again and the superheroes union will pick at you around the clock. I'll let you and me take a little walk to the nearest police station. But Molten Man isn't having it. He lunges at Spidey again, shouting that he's not a penny any crook anymore, and when he gets a hold of Spidey... Dot, dot, dot. Exclamation point! Spidey, grabbing Molten Man by the collar and flipping over his head, replies, I know, I know. They all make the same corny speech. But the Molten Man sets his feet, and Spidey, trying to flip the man, rips the guy's shirt and takes the jacket off instead, thinking he couldn't lift the guy. And this is a big deal. When Spidey wants to move things, those things usually move. This Molten Man is proving to be a big boy. Then, before the amazing teenager can recover himself, dot, dot, dot. Exclamation point! Molten Man pivots on the spot and finally connects with Spidey, who, upside down, is hit square in his symbol on his chest. Spidey thinks this guy hits like a sledgehammer and slams into the wall of the room, sending books from a nearby dresser flying. But Molten Man ain't done. Spidey lands on his feet in the next panel, just in time to catch a left hook from an advancing Molten Man. Spidey crashes into the green dresser. A lamp falls from an end table. Chaos is reigning in this room. And Molten Man is talking his smack. Asking Spidey if he thought he was just going to skip down to the police station with the walking Oscar in tow. But Spidey's not soft, even when his chin is facing north, the worst position you want to be in in a fight. He's still going to talk his talk. Don't let a couple of monkey punches go to your head, Raxton. You're not exactly finding a maypole dancer. And a maypole is a long wooden pole, usually has strings attached to it that people hold and dance around holding the string. Maypole. 
back too. Molten Man throws a straight right punch this time, shouting Spidey knows he felt those blows. Spidey's honest, he says, yeah, I did, but let's see how you can take it. And bounces up from the floor and into ha! a right cross that sends Molten Man crashing into the wall and drapes. And Spidey's quipping gets clinical. I hope your blue cross is on paint up, Braxton, because I'm through kidding around with you. Not taking any chances, he presses his advantage, hitting the Molten Man with a Spidey uppercut. If you can, check out this uppercut. Spidey started this thing at his hip and ended the punch behind his head and hits the Molten Man so hard, the guy's head snaps back and goes through the plaster of the wall. Spidey tells the guy he should be flattered because this is a punch he usually saves for his big deal villains. In the final panel, Molten Man, skin glistening, is grinning. Spidey is shocked the man's still standing, but Molten Man isn't. He calls Spidey loudmouthed and swell-headed, so you know, the usual, and says maybe Spidey's bitten off more than he can chew. Spidey thinks this guy's not just chomping his gums. Translation, talking smack. And on 12, you already know, if fists don't work, there's always the shooters. Ladies and gentlemen, on page 12, we get the first appearance of the whip sound effect in a Spidey comic. Spidey lets both shooters fly at the Molten Man, but it's pointless. Molten Man's skin is too golden, too slick and the webbing falls away from it easily. Molten Man, admiring Spidey's costume, says he's gonna make one of his own. His costume? He tears the legs away from his pants until they're Daisy Dukes, and now everyone will recognize the Molten Man. Golden skin isn't enough. We've gotta have every fight turn into a chance of us seeing the man's naughty bits. What a world, the 616 Earth. Molten Man strolls forward towards Spider-Man, confident into the next panel. You can't hurt me with your fist or ensnare me with your web. So what do you try next, masked man? Spidey, bracing himself in front of the front door of the apartment, replies that maybe they could have a tiddlywinks contest. We don't gotta be fighting. We can just do tiddlywinks. Before Molten Man tackles him through the front door, shouting, very funny. The two combatants tumble down a staircase of the apartment building. Spidey asking Molten Man, why isn't he laughing if it's funny as they tumble? But as soon as Spidey hits the floor on 13, he throws an up and undercut to get the villain off of him. And Spidey calls the man an eager beaver, saying even 008, that's Dr. Octopus, would stop to catch his breath. Sheesh. Molten Man, his chin jerked to the side from the punch, says when he's through, Spidey will wish he was fighting one of his other baddies. Back on his feet now, Spidey rushes Molten Man, and the two both throw right crosses on one foot. I love the symmetry in this panel. Spidey tells Molten Man to put some respect on his rogue's names because he's sentimental about him. He ain't gonna say it no more. And Molten Man replies, I knew it. You're nothing but a full-time nut. That's what he says. A nut. Spidey cracks Molten Man across the jaw clean with a right straight punch in the next panel. But this guy isn't even phased. Cheesing the whole time, he tells Spider-Man that his punches are getting weaker and weaker. Spidey thinks this isn't true. That his punches are sledgehammer throws. The guy's just not getting hurt. In the next panel, this panel's hilarious to me. Molten Man kicks Spidey in the right knee with his left foot and snaps Spidey's head back with his left cross. Molten Man looks like he's Russian squat dancing in Daisy Dukes, and I love it. He shouts, the great Spider-Man? <laughs> don't make me laugh. Seconds later, the two combatants find themselves still trading blows above the cellar stairs, and then dot 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 exclamation point. Molten Man, shouting he wouldn't want to embarrass Spidey beating him in public, knocks our hero off his feet and into the cellar. Spidey, rolling with the punch, Tells Molten Man he's all heart, and I imagine, agility on best ever, backflips over the stairs onto his feet into the final panel where he's standing. Thumping down the stairs towards our hero, Molten Man tells Spidey he might want to stop with the wisecracks because he's going to need to save his breath. So Spidey takes the man's advice to open 14, 
He stops quipping. He stops swinging, leaning back on one leg to dodge huh. another metal-fisted punch. Spidey's not talking. Spidey's thinking. No sense wasting my strength punching him. I'll just use my spider spin to dodge his blows. Molten Man shouts that all he needs to do is hit Spidey one more time, and our heroes through. In a gorgeous panel, Molten Man's right fist in the lower left corner, Spidey's head above it, his left hand slightly raised. Spidey's thinking Molten Man will never connect with a punch against his spider speed. And looking up, our heroes just noticed the hanging lamp above their heads when the light bulb in his head goes off, shouting, A penny saved is a penny earned, so let's not waste electricity. He grabs a container from a nearby shelf and hurls it towards the light. The room immediately goes black, and we get another gorgeous panel. Now, the Molten Man's shoulders and head glowing in the pitch black of the cellar. He reaches out towards Spider-Man, shouting that he can't see. Spidey, his spider sense ablaze, his head dominating stage left of the next panel, pitch black all around him, says what I'm thinking. Is that so? What a pity. Too bad you don't have a swinging spider sense to guide you. Translation, all that weight in gold and no Spidey sense? How sad. We see Spidey's hands next as he disappears into the darkness, forming a rope of extra thick spider webs before creeping up behind the Molten Man in the final panel of the page. Spidey's spider sense is surrounding his upper half, and he's thinking, And then I'll tip me toe up behind Raxon, just as quiet as a little mousy. He said he's gonna be as quiet as a little mousy. We can see Molten Man's legs from the knees down are in the foreground. You know Ditko knows how to draw legs and feet better than anybody in the game. And Spidey hops right into his Birkin. On 15, Spidey goes alliteration crazy in his thoughts. And now, grabbing his feet with my deaf, dexterous, dazzling digits, I'll hog tie him as easy as pie. The kid has bars. And grabs the Molten Man's perfectly drawn golden feet, binding them easily. Molten Man reaches up to grab Spidey in the next panel, and Spidey seizes the moment and the man's wrist, tying his hands up in a slip knot. In the next panel, Spidey, gripping this rope, shouts that no matter how slippery Molten Man's skin is, if Spidey pulls the knots tight enough, the Molten Man's had it. He lifts the golden bruiser from the floor and back towards the cellar door. Molten Man asks if Spidey thinks he's helpless now. Spidey says no, that the man can still flutter his eyelids. But apart from that, you can't do crap. But that's not so. Molten Man, slippery as he is, begins sliding his hands from the web and binding them. Spidey notices and won't have it. In the final panel, he throws his whole upper body on the Molten Man's forearms and reapplies his webbing, quipping the whole time. There! Your helpful little Spider-Man will make it all nice and snug again. But this is exactly what Molten Man was hoping for. On 16, he grabs Spidey around the chest, lifts him from his feet, and slams him into the wall in front of the staircase, shouting that he'll keep slamming our hero until Spidey lets him go. He grabs Spidey by the back of the head next and slams Golden Liability back first, upside down into the staircase, shouting, What's wrong with you? Haven't you enough sense to know when you're beaten? But Spider-Man, breaking the rules of rude, answers his question, with a question. If I had any sense, would I be in a business like this? In the next panel, Molten Man leaps from his feet, lunging at Spidey, both fists out in front of him. Spidey, agility on best ever, but of course, of course. Dodges low, his huh. right palm pressed against the floor, his left leg out in front of him, shouting that he's waited long enough. Molten Man is confused. He asks what could Spider-Man possibly be waiting for? Spidey's like, wait, there's something you don't know? Molten Man falls to the floor from the momentum of trying to take Spidey's head off as our hero, standing over him now, explains. Well, I'll enlighten you, Raxton. I was just letting you toss me around while I waited for my webbing to harden. And now, even you can't get loose. Spidey taking a licking and keeps on quipping. This fight is over. There are rushing footsteps behind them and Molten Man asks if Spidey's going to leave him like this, but that's exactly what Spidey's going to do. 
bounding up the stairs. Spidey, looking over his shoulder towards Joe and Tomas, who just entered the building, is shouting, Don't worry, Rexy. You won't be lonely. They say the police are real good company. Molten Man is upset. He says moments ago, he was on top of the world. And I mean, he's going to jail, but as far as supervillains go, he hasn't done much. So in the 616 universe, I'm sure he'll be out like tomorrow. In the final panel, Spidey is web swinging victoriously above the city. He thinks it sucks he didn't have time to catch up with New York's most trigger-happy cops, and then wonders how many other supers have to race home for their high school graduation. Thus, a short time later, at the happy, humble mortgage tome of Peter Parker. Dot, dot, dot. The Goldenrod Kid is back on the scene, racing into his home where he finds Aunt May in a red blouse and dress. He asks why she isn't ready. The ceremony starts in a little while. But May tells Peter Dear to run along because she's going with Mrs. Watson in a half an hour. She fixes his tie in the next panel, telling him that Uncle Ben would be so proud. But we know she's proud too. She ends with, my little boy, graduating with honors. Pete, racing to change in the next panel, says if her little boy doesn't get moving, he'll miss the whole thing and tells her not to be late. May's like to my own nephew's graduation? Never. And then, at Midtown High, the big moment finally arrives. Dot, dot, dot. We have black kids, white kids, boys, girls, all in their blue caps and gowns. The boys wearing SJB blue, the girls in white with blue caps. Liz Allen is in the foreground. She's talking to a sandy-haired kid. Bowtie Charlie is here wearing a black tie. All of these children are excited. Bowtie Charlie says he feels 200% smarter with the cap on his head. A black kid next to Charlie quips. He says he always said Charlie had a flat head, and now everybody knows it. A teacher pushes the door of their waiting room open. She's wearing warrior purple. She's wearing glasses. She has gray hair. She raises her hand. She says it's time for their big moment and asks them all to get in single file. In the next panel, Pete's walking down the aisle to his seat. Aunt May is there in a green pillbox hat with matching dress, and she's seated next to Anna Watson in red, who spots Peter and points him out. The two wave. He returns it smiling, thinking Betty isn't here, that she must be angrier with him than he thought. Betty is pissed that Pete sent that Spider Slayer after Spider-Man. She still has not forgiven him for it. We'll spare you the exact text of Principal Davis's speech because it's pretty much like every other high school graduation speech except for this part. Big Brass is standing at a podium in his signature green suit and red tie and he's announcing the two students who've gained scholarships to Empire State University. That's ESU for short. He says, and now I'm proud to announce our two scholarship awards to Empire State University here in New York City. First, for proficiency in athletics, our winner is Flash Thompson. And someone off panel shouts, yippee! But I know it's Flash because I've seen Flash shout yippee before. In the next panel, we see Pete in the crowd, Flash Thompson behind him, as Davis continues. And for achieving the highest scholastic average in our school's history, a science scholarship is awarded to Peter Parker. The highest GPA in Midtown High School history. That's my friend Pete. And he is in shock. He thinks, I did it. This means I can go to college. Free. Gosh. It's like a dream come true. All we can see is his top teeth. His mouth is like, wow, I did it. He is in shock. And I know he's proud of himself. As he should be. Flash the triumphant, seated behind Pete, folds his arms and plays his trumpets to himself. Boy, the chicks will go ape over old Flash now. Man already forgot about Liz Allen and they ain't even done with the graduation yet. In the final panel, the camera shifts back to Big Brass Davis who has one more announcement. The guest speaker will be none other than the great civic leader and journalist, John Jonah Jameson Jr. 
The crowd gives a collective groan and someone shouts that they're making the students get their diplomas the hard way. As Jameson walks up in a tan suit, green tie, and grin so wide his eyes are closed. On 18, he gets right to it. <clears throat> Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, I shall nevertheless tell you about myself when I was young to inspire you to reach my pinnacle of greatness. The camera shifts to Pete and Flash in the crowd and neither are happy. Flash says someone needs to get him an aspirin. Pete replies that he's going to need more than one because the miserable magnate gets worse as he goes along. A kid sitting in front of Pete asks if JJ's smiling or is that a freight mask? All of these kids are turned off with this guest speaker. Pete glances over at Liz Allen who has her head down with a somber expression on her face. Staring at her, Pete wonders what's wrong but doesn't have the time to ask now. Luckily, all things come to an end. Even speeches by J. Jonah Jameson. And so, when the commencement is finally over, we get a long panel of all the kids celebrating with their families. Flash stage right is all smiles, saying the day could have only been better if Spider-Man gave the speech instead of old Pruneface. Pete and May are just off-center, Mrs. Watson behind them. She and May must have switched clothes during J.J.'s speech because now May's in red and Mrs. Watson's in green. J.J. must have been talking for hours. May tells Pete how proud of him she is for getting the scholarship that now he'll be able to get a college education like he always dreamed about. Pete says he'll never be able to repay her for all she's done to help. That is his cheering section. That is his role model. That is his protector, his life guide, May Parker. And we get by with a little help from our friends. I say it all the time, that's true. But we get by with a lot of help from our parents and the people who are our protectors and guardians. Mrs. Watson takes this moment to chime in saying that she can't wait to get home and tell Mary Jane all about it. That the young lady will be thrilled. And Pete thinks, that's all I need. Another girl in the line to complicate things even more. In the next panel, May, her eyes closed and head lowered, tells Pete that life hasn't been easy since Ben died. But moments like these make all the hardships since seem worth it. Of course, JJ walks up smiling and waving in this moment, intruding on their private moment, and he's thinking, there's Parker. He sold some photos to a rival paper the other day. I've got to run him back to the bugle again. He shouts hello. And in the final panel, rings Pete's hand saying the kid's a credit to the Daily Bugle. He asks Pete what he thought of the speech. Pete says the man was in fine voice. Translation? Long-winded. May says you're the man who pays Peter for his news photos? I'm his Aunt May. And JJ replies, his aunt? I thought you were his sister. Go ahead, JJ. Smooth with it. And JJ pours it on thicker than maple syrup from Vermont to open page 19. He tells May he sees where Peter gets his charm. May's like, why, Mr. Jameson? He says, please. Call me JJJ. Pete, thinking JJ is even more revolting when he tries to be nice, excuses himself because there's someone he needs to see. In the next panel, Pete finds Liz and touching her shoulder, says they've known each other for years, that he thought she likes him and asks her why she's giving him the big freeze now. Liz says we may never see each other again, so I'll tell you. She lowers her head, saying she didn't just like him, she had a crush on him, but he always wanted another girl, either Betty Brant or Mary Jane Watson, and I swear, Pete's wearing an expression like, bruh. He says, but... But Liz cuts him off. She says, let me finish. Can I finish? She says Pete always thought of her as a dizzy blonde. And maybe she is. But with this graduation, it's time for her to get rid of that part of her life. Pete says, hey, I want you to know. But Liz turns to join her parents saying goodbye and good luck and leaves. And Liz, I think more than anyone else, really did have a transformation that we all witnessed. She was still abrasive the whole time we've seen her. But she came to value intellect and kindness just as much as maybe more than bravado and alpha maleism. To Pete's credit, he never thought of her as a dizzy blonde that we saw. As a jerk at first, for sure, but never dumb, and I know he values her friendship. Pete takes his robe off in the next panel and spots Flash Cock of the Walk Thompson surrounded by people still laughing. 
He thinks he wishes he had more time with Flizz, but instead, he's got at least a few more years with Flash Cock of the Walk Thompson. And Pete's thinking it, Flash is saying it. I feel so good now, I don't even mind Pewdie Parker being in the same college as me. You're in the same college as him, alright? Get it right before you get it wrong. In the final panel, Pete's walking back over to Aunt May and company, and he knows JJ's game. He thinks the only reason the miserable magnate is still there is because he wants Pete's photos. JJ's telling May that being a paper magnate is exciting, that once, he was even accused of being the Green Goblin. But I think he's confused because he was accused of being the big man. But we don't know what we don't see in the month between the issues, so maybe he maybe he was accused of being a goblin. Who knows? I don't know. May throws her head back laughing, saying that's as ridiculous as Peter being accused of being Spider-Man. <laughs> May, if you only knew. On 20, JJ pats Pete on the chest, saying he has to get going. That running a paper is a very big job. May says JJ's an important man. And humility personified, JJ says, ah, yes. Indeed I am. JJ claps Pete on the shoulder next, telling him not to be a stranger. Pete's been doing the donuts and dimes for three years, so he smiles back, but he's thinking, The old phony, he can't stand the sight of me, and we both know it. Jameson tells Pete to remember that he pays top dollar for exclusive photos. Pete drops the charade right then. He replies, Sure, but only after I twist your arm and yell and scream and bang, and that's true. And JJ calling Pete a kidder walks off, lighting a fresh cigar. May says JJ is charming, sincere, and warm-hearted saying that to know him is to love him. Pete thinks, boy, when they have the next Academy Awards, Jonah can't miss getting himself an Oscar. Pete says he's going to get a jacket so they can go. Then, as the sun begins to set and the crowd thins out, Peter Parker takes a last walk past the school which houses so many memories. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Pete wraps one arm around May in the next panel, the other around Mrs. Watson, and they walk off together, their backs to us, towards the limestone brick Midtown High School, for the last time. Beneath this, we get Spidey's face and silhouette in the background, Pete's head smiling, beneath him, stage right is Liz Allen, her head bowed, and Flash Thompson stage left, his back to us with a fist clenched. Flanking this image, we get two caption boxes. But, as with all of life, it isn't really an ending, but a beginning. The beginning of a new chapter in the life of the world's most amazing teenager, and of those whom fate has tossed into his web of destiny. Next issue, two familiar faces return from the past, one is the Scorpion, and the other you shall see when your eager eyes behold the wonderment that awaits you in Spider-Man number 29. See you then. And we're out. The beauty of this issue, start to finish, cannot be understated. Silver Age Spidey was an embarrassment of riches. Another awesome story from Stan Lee. And from page one, we were given beautiful visuals that carry through literally to the final panel. If the cover weren't our panel of the week, there were about 20 nominees. Ditko, as always, giving us top-notch art that carried all the way through to the end. This closes the high school years of a one Peter Parker, but the kid's on scholarship to ESU with his biggest antagonist in tow. I wonder if Johnny Storm will be there. Next week, we're diving into Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2, The Wondrous Worlds of Doctor Strange. The Good Doctor is another Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creation, so you know a great story is damn near guaranteed. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support the show on patreon.com slash HSPP, patrons get a bonus show every week where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics past and present from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we're running through Spider-Man House of M number one, a tie-in tale to one of my favorite Marvel crossover events ever, House of M. If up is down and left is right, 
Will the perennially unlucky Peter Parker come out better for the change? If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Join us. Head over to patreon.com slash hspp and sign up now. This podcast is completely listener supported, and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back, and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, a special thanks to the home team, Parker's Eleven. Sign up now. Vote on bonus episodes. Make it 12. You won't regret it. You got questions? Send them to me and myfriendpete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MNMFP underscore podcast. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.